Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on? Oh, I'm just trying to figure out my ip. I'm just hustling, baby. Hustling. What's ip? 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 Uh, IP internet app? protocol. No, no, no. Something different. No? Yeah. We, we're going to do acronyms. I thought we were talking about technology. We're going to talk about property, but the intellectual kind. I'm intellectual. I know, but you're not. It's not. That's not how we're going to do this. Can I be somebody's property? You probably already are. You might be, or you want to be, but that's not what we're going to talk all about right, either. Right, so, right. I brought in an expert, subject matter expert on the on the subject. I brought in Dave Bernard, who's a partner at Stinson. Hey, Law- good morning. Hey, Dave. How are you? Good. Good. Yourself? I'm doing pretty good. I'm just trying to figure out this IP thing. There's a lot to it. Somebody's trying to steal my idea. Yeah, I know, and it's me. That's the problem. So, but anyway, before we get started, and because Dave's an attorney, I'm going to let him make a disclaimer. Oh, the ideas that I express today are not the ideas necessarily of Stinson LLP. Uh, They may give me a high five afterwards if I say something smart, but let's not take that for granted. That's the way, that's actually the way. may or may not be legal advice. Yeah, yeah. Please uh, get the counsel of your attorney Blah, 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 right? So, Dave, exactly. okay. Dave, you, Stinson's your big firm. Like, and for those of you that aren't in Kansas City, and we know we have a lot of listeners that aren't, they have their own like skyscraper building downtown. It's tall, it's big, and it says Stinson on it. So, I'm assuming you guys have something going on down there. But yeah, we've got about 500 attorneys, uh, primarily a Midwest footprint. Uh, a lot of them are here in Kansas City, and about 60 people in our intellectual property group. Uh, and I am one of them. Wow. All right. Wow. So before we get started, I looked up the definition of intellectual property. It is riveting. It, it according to the internet, that's what my citation there. According to the internet, an intellectual property is a work or invention that is the result of creativity, such as a manuscript, a design to which one has rights and for which one may apply for a patent, copyright, or trademark. That's a good start. Is it? A really good start. Yeah. The uh, the devil's in the details on the very end of that in terms of the differences between a copyright versus a patent versus a trademark. Um, sometimes the edges are blurry, but they mean very different things to different companies. Okay. So when it comes to intellectual property, you know, one of the things as a startup founder, and this this comes up a lot. I mean, even at, at so Matt and I own a business together, full scale, and we our company helps people build software. And it the 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 rights to intellectual property and all that stuff, they come up like people ask us a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. It comes up in agreements in terms of who owns what and, and where the, uh, where the edges are in terms of stay out of my yard versus somebody else's yard. Um, I always like to think of just, you know, a, a yard is really not a bad analogy for its property. Um, you own something, somebody else owns something. You can go in their yard. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, depending on what you agree to. So when it comes to intellectual, okay, so intellectual property, obviously, as I define it, goes a lot of different ways. So sitting here in the studio, there's a stack of books that I wrote. Those are my intellectual property, right? They're not very intellectual. 
<laughs> but their property, regardless, their property. technically, isn't that some form of IP? Those are absolutely your intellectual property. Um, those are protected by copyright. Okay. And one thing that's neat about copyright is, unlike some other forms of intellectual property, you don't have to register it uh, the second that you set your mo- or your thoughts uh, on paper. Uh, federal laws automatically protect that. Now you do have to go register it if you want to file a lawsuit. But it's protected the second that you set it in a tangible form. You're under federal protection. Yeah, and that's a good thing because I haven't done any, <laughs> I haven't done anything else past wow. that. I kind of figured that, and you know, talking to my book editor, he, he tried to make that clear. But so, all right, so, and, and that's a good point. So there are some things that classify under a level of automatic protection. What are some things that don't? Uh, patents are the primary thing that people think about. Patents are designed to protect an idea that is novel and that has some useful purpose. And so it can be for a machine, some kind of an apparatus, but it can also just be for a business method, okay. uh, which is uh, one of the ways that people use to protect software. Although that has been seriously under fire for about five years now, uh, there was a Supreme Court decision called Alice that basically said that um, all of these patents that protect software, if it looks like they're really more designed to protect an abstract idea that's being accomplished by a computer, just automating something that was already out there, say you're an actuary or you're doing accounting. If your patent is just to say, here's a computerized way to do that, the Supreme Court said that's too abstract. We're not going to protect that anymore. You have to have something that's much more specific and much more tied to a specific technology. And so because of that, um, software patents have been under fire. But if you want to protect an idea that revolves around doing something or making something that has a function, uh, you need to have a patent to do that. Okay. Matt, do you uh, do you own any patents? Nope. I don't either. I've owned two software companies, never filed for a patent. I honestly think software patents are bullshit. Right. Now, I mean, do you agree with him on some levels or like, I mean, like you said, because you were kind of, you weren't necessarily alluding to that, but saying, hey, this is, this is tough stuff to patent. Ever since the Alice decision came down, I mean, that decision literally wiped out billions of dollars of investment in patents. Wow. The second that that opinion came down. So, um that's so not it, to say it, that it literally undid patents. It did. I mean, or it, it, or it pulled the teeth out of them. Um, picture again, billions of dollars of money that was inv- uh, invested into patents at that point in okay. by Microsoft, Apple, everybody who's a big tech player. That decision destroyed a great deal of of the value in those patents. Some of those patents that just wiped them off the map, and you'll see on a daily basis courts around the com- country that rely on that um, that decision to invalidate patents that are being asserted in litigation. So let me explain why I don't like software patents. So Apple like had patents on how you organize and build a menu around music from the iPod, like right. that you sort it by the artist and like dumb shit. Like <laughs> you could patent that. Like that's really stupid. Um, I think there are other patents though. Like take for example, uh, JPEG file or MP3 files. Like those were patented file formats that were when they were invented were pretty cutting edge. Right now. They're that's so common. They are very common yeah. now, but that's why everybody also has created other file formats so they don't have to pay the royalties on those. So, like Apple does not use the MP3 file format; There's they the MP4. invented their own. Yeah. No, MP4 is video. 
Okay. They invented it's at AAC or something like that. Sure. There's some other format. And all this is like how the sausage is made stuff deep under the covers. If you use an iPhone, you'll never in a million years know the file formats. It just works, right? So, so but there's Dave, things is, like it, that is, that are... Is that the stuff that they were largely trying to strike down? You know, actually, Matt, that's a great example because in terms of the file format, that's a kind of a patent that probably would still withstand yes. Alice. That would yep. still be enforceable because it is tied to a specific technological innovation as opposed to menus. You know, yeah. there's always been menus. If you're just automating it on a website or with a software, that's the kind of thing that, that Alice was designed to strike down so, and to make it harder to get and, that and broad of a pet. Was Alice trying, and is that literally spelled Alice like you would think of, like the like, woman or the waitress that was on the show? I, I was thinking more like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah you, sure. You've got it right on the There head. was an Alice, a show called Alice, oh, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, I'm old enough to remember so the, that. The, the problem with so many <laughs> software-related things, most software simply like select some data out of a database and puts it on a screen and right. you like add some more data and save it back to a database. So was the there's per- not really much to patent there except the database was the, the technology behind the database itself. Was the purpose of Alice to cut down on trolling like patent trolls and just to like not block people, not to make you have to like invent a new way to do the menu. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say that that was the purpose, but it was certainly in the background. Um, but it, the practical effect of it is, yeah, it's made it a lot harder for a lot of patent trolls out there. Um, now and, and, what, not, and let's define what a patent troll is. If you haven't heard of them, they are, they do, that's a real thing. Yeah, we, we actually debate that. Um, generally, You debate whether they're real or not or what they are? Uh, who is or is not a patent troll? Uh, the way that the term is generally used... Um, a, a term that we throw around is called a non-practicing entity, which means that somebody who owns a patent but isn't actually practicing the technology, they're not making a product, they're not selling a service, they just have the patent and wait for somebody else to walk into their yard, basically, to start using technology that's uh, associated with the patent, and then they sue them. Um, now, and that, they, that's But that's pretty common. That happens a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and so we use non-practicing entity entity because it's not pejorative. Um, you know, a lot of universities, for example, are non-practicing entities. They develop technology, they have patents, but they're not out there commercializing it necessarily. Now, a patent troll, I typically limit that to a particular set of tactics that somebody has. So we're going to assume that they're a non-practicing entity. They've got the patent. They're not selling anything. They're not making anything out in the market. <clears throat> um, typical tactics for a patent troll is they may send hundreds and hundreds of letters to different companies uh, around the country accusing them of infringement, but with the idea that they're probably never going to file a lawsuit. They're going to ask for a relatively low uh, dollar amount license fee. That would be less than what it would probably cost to defend it. Absolutely. And sure. so it's basically, you know, it, it's fair for a lot of defendants to call that a shakedown. Um, you know, the, the people who are sending the letters know that the defendants can't afford to uh, defend the patents as easy as it is to just go ahead and pay a license fee. And, you know, in some particularly egregious examples that there's one large scale patent troll that's operating in the country right now, we're defending a case against them. Uh, there's already been papers filed against them that demonstrate um, very clearly, in my mind, at least the patent's invalid. And so what they do is they keep lowering the price to make sure that nobody actually gets a decision from a court that says, yes, we've looked at these papers. This patent is is invalid. That's so many things wrong with that approach. Don't you agree, Matt? Well, the, the problem. And so I, I had a friend that had a, a local company here that made a really popular mobile game 
was uh, extremely popular. And you may know who I'm talking about. Maybe you helped defend them even. And they got hit by some patent trolls. And instead of paying the fee and the shakedown, they decided to fight it. And they're like, screw this. This is bullshit. We're going to fight it. And they probably spent a million dollars fighting this. Wow. But they were dumb patents. Hopefully that was your account, Dave. (laughs) I believe they were dumb, uh, dumb patents that virtually every app there is violates these patents. They're like how to do a subscription, like how do I buy something and subscribe to data or validate a license key? Like there's some basic patents around some really basic things like that, that literally every app there is violates. And is that what the Alice thing tried to get after? It it does. It's a very useful tool in those cases. If you have to defend that sometimes very early in the litigation, you can go straight to the judge and say, this is really just somebody trying to automate um, an idea that's already out there. It's an abstract idea. And a lot of times judges will look at that and they'll go ahead and invalidate the patent before you have to spend the million dollars. Uh, unfortunately, though, um, some judges won't. They'll let that go all the way to a jury. And by the time you've gotten there, yeah, spending a million dollars is, is very possible. The, the problem we have is there's so many fundamental things have been patented along the way over the history of computers and electronics that anybody who built software today is building like on top of those building blocks and we don't even know it or we're, we're implementing such basic and common things that we never would have thought about like, Oh, somebody patented this thing a long time ago. It'd be like somebody patented a a hammer and a screwdriver and a nail and wood, but we're building houses. And it's like, I, we don't know, we're just, this is the way you do it. We We don't even know there's another way, but these things have actually been patented by somebody a long time ago. And we just take them all for granted. One thing about a patent that's kind of strange, too, is a patent doesn't give you a right to do anything. It just gives you the ability to exclude somebody from doing something else. So let's say that there's some kind of a machine that has, you know, three critical things, you know, one, two and three. If you come up with a better way to improve that machine that includes, you know, item four, you can get a patent on that. The thing is, is that if somebody else has a patent that is on the one, the two and the three, you may not be able to actually use what you have gotten a patent on. It's just a mm. negative right. So there's a difference between a patent and intellectual property, or are, they, are these still the same thing? Uh, intellectual property is kind of the, the big set. Patents are part of that. Um, so intellectual know, property is like the umbrella when it comes to all of it. That's exactly right. So at what point, like, all right, so let's say I'm a startup founder doing anything. Like, at what point do I want to, tr- like, what is worth protecting? And what are some things like, I mean, I have a feeling that, all right, so look, every startup's operating on a shoestring budget in the beginning. So, but this, like I said, this comes up a lot. This is like a daily part of my conversation. So maybe I'm just learning a little bit here, but you know, when are certain things important to take care of? Like, what do you guys recommend or at Stenson and like, I mean, or you or, you know, or maybe they're going to pat you on the back for your good advice here. Maybe, maybe they won't, but You know, one thing about intellectual property, especially for startups, is it's not one size fits all. It really depends on who you are as a company. What are you selling? Is it a product? Is it a service? Um, Shark Tank's a great example in terms of a lot of times when people are pitching their company, one of the first questions you'll hear out of the sharks is, do you have a patent? Right. Typically, that's going to revolve around companies that have one product that's really critical. If it's a product that's going to be out in the market, especially a consumer facing product, and it's something somebody else could copy and reverse engineer very easily, then you're going to want to have a patent to protect that. That's going to be the only way to do it, as a matter of fact, if it is something that somebody can reverse engineer. On the other hand, if you're offering services or you're offering products that are going to evolve, they're going to change, or there's going to be a lot of them, 
you may want to be thinking less about a patent on any particular product and more about your brand. Um, one of the most valuable intellectual properties in the entire world is the trademark on Google. It's been valued at over $40 billion just for the name Google. And so Google is a fantastic you know, technology company. It owns thousands of patents, but no one of those patents is worth anywhere near their brand, which is really the hmm. name. So when you're, when you're launching your company, um, you could waste a lot of money on patents, and that may not really be your identity. That may not be where the value is. And so part of my job is to talk to people and to help them, you know, A, realize, you know, find out who they are, what they are. Are they, let's say, a, a product company? Are they a content company? Because then you want to focus on the copyrights. And, and for all companies, you know, every company has got a name. So the brand is very important. Hmm. All right. So let's take an example. I've got in my hand a fidget spinner. Everybody remember what a fidget spinner is? A spinner around. Thank you for the sound yeah, effect, man. I like that. Yeah. The, this I'm is telling a, you, you need to be a Foley yeah, artist. <laughs> this this is a physical product, right? Correct. So it'd be easy for somebody to look at this and say, oh, wow, you can sell this for $10 and little kids love it. I'm going to go make this same exact thing and I'm going to go make it in China for 10 cents on the dollar or whatever. And I'm going to go make these. And that's exactly what happened a couple of years ago. If you didn't patent this and enforce the patent, literally anybody could have made this thing. There are no barriers to entry to figure out how to produce this thing out of plastic and some ball bearings, right? Yeah, that's absolutely with, right. With most physical products or toys or any of that kind of stuff that's physical, it's real easy for somebody to reproduce and clone it. Software is a whole different world when it comes to reproducing something because like take StackFi as an example at our product. If you want to reproduce it, good luck. You got a few years ahead of you and you're going to have to hire a shitload of people good luck, right? It's not as simple as reproducing this fidget spinner, getting one of these and mailing it to China and saying, go, go give me a thousand of these. It's a different world. Well, and one trade or uh, one uh, intellectual property we haven't really talked about a lot yet is a trade secret. And so if you have a product that can be out in the market and yet somebody can't easily reverse engineer it, a lot of times you're going to be better off to keep it as a trade secret than a patent. Uh, Coca-Cola is the classic example. Like the formula? Yeah, exactly. If Coca-Cola had gone to the patent office with its formula, uh -huh. it would have had a patent for about 20 years. And then anybody in the world would have known every little secret about making it. Instead, they've um, maintained the recipe as a trade secret. And, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar trade secret. Um, a big difference. So a trade secret doesn't have an expiration on it. Then. That's exactly right. As long I as see. you can keep it secret and it has economic value, you can protect so it. So how do you license a trade secret or, or what does that mean? You know, it, it, it's basically involved the same way that you would do a lot of other types of intellectual property. Um, the, you know, because it's called a trade secret, one thing you want to focus on is the secret part. Um, you would want to have a but very... That would be tough to keep secret. I mean, think about how many people have worked for Coca-Cola or a Coca-Cola bottler and making that. Like, it can't be a secret anymore. You, you know, it really comes down to what you're doing to protect it and whether it's reasonable or not. Um, trade secrets have gotten a lot more attention in the last few years because both because of the Alice decision. So software patents are not as easy to enforce anymore. Um, whereas the feds also passed what's called the Defend Trade, Se trade Secrets Act in 2016. And it basically gives you a right of action to protect your trade, trade secrets in federal court that didn't exist before. And for a lot of companies, again, if you have, if really the value in what you're offering in your product is something you can keep secret, you can keep it secret indefinitely. And so it can be a lot more valuable than a patent over the long haul. 
so long as it's not something somebody else can look at the product and then you know work their way backwards through reverse engineering. And you don't have to keep it absolutely secret. Uh, under the Defend, Tra- Defend a Trade Secrets Act and also under similar state laws, you just have to take reasonable measures to keep it secret. So, for example, you know, hmm. Did your employees, do they sign off on a confidentiality agreement? Do you have physical security? Do you have to have a password to access it? Um, if you have physical copies of a particular thing, do you keep track of them? As long as you're, you have a reasonable program to do all of those things, that's all you have to, to do to have an enforceable trade secret. Isn't the, isn't the formula for Kentucky Fried Chicken an example of one of these things? They have done a great – A, it's a very valuable trade secret. But B, yes, they have a, a, a vault that has 24-7 surveillance on the vault where they've got one of the copies <laughs> really? of the secret yeah, herbs yeah. and spices. <laughs> so they, they do that for purposes of saying we are, in fact, trying to protect the secret? A- absolutely. And they do – but, you know, there's two pieces of it. You know, A, if they ever go into court, yeah, they can show a picture of the vault and the cameras and all of that to try to say, hey, we're taking reasonable measures. It's also great marketing. So, um, so, so then some things, all right, and I actually wrote about this in Million Dollar Bedroom because when I bought gigabook.com, I had it for a little bit and then I realized that there was a laptop once called the Gigabook and I kind of gulped and I was like, oh man, am I, did I just infringe on someone's IP or trademark or whatever? Yeah. And I actually called our attorney, which was not Stenson, but Sten- I think Dave Bernard at Stenson, and that's S-T-I-N-S-O-N, would be probably glad to talk to you about it. But I called and, and I said, man, I'm worried. And he said, the term giga and book are way too overly used to probably, unless you have created a laptop that is also called the giga book, I wouldn't worry about it. Well, we should talk about this um, more with trademarks because trademark names can be used multiple times in different industries with the same name, right? Do you have some good examples of this? Uh, You know, there's ways to do it safely, and it really comes down to which trademark you're talking about. Generally speaking, the only way to uh, protect a short phrase or just one word is going to be a trademark. Copyright protects, you know, a book. It can protect something as short as a one-liner if you're a comedian, um, but it's not going to protect a name like Gigabook. On the other hand, because because of the generality of it? Not because of the generality. I mean, I clearly wasn't making laptops. Yeah, it's it's really under copyright law. It's just too short. Right. Um, okay. Copyright law says it has to be of a certain length and it has to be original. Um, in terms of trademarks, um, there's some latitude that you have around trademarks, especially let's say that you are just wanting to refer to a product that somebody else owns. You have to be able to do that. And so courts have a, a doctrine that's out there called nominative fair use, which just means you can refer to somebody else's thing. What trademark protects is you can't represent that thing as your own hmm. if you're selling the same kinds of goods and services. So, Matt, I don't even know if you know this. Do you know that? Um, so, obviously, this podcast is called Startup Hustle. Right. Those are general terms. We didn't invent the term startup or hustle. We're willing to admit that. Do you know that there's now a Startup Hustle Mideast? I've seen that, yes. Yeah, which is that. we are not affiliated with. Let me give you my business card. Yeah, no doubt. No, but I mean, I wouldn't even know how to pursue that or if I even care, but I just thought that was pretty interesting because it came out way, way, way after we started this. And there's no way that they did that and didn't see us as well. Yeah, if, I thought if, that was an interesting approach. Oh, yeah. If it's aimed at the exact same kind of an audience. It's a um, podcast called Startup Hustle Mideast. Yeah, trades, uh, trademarks is where you would want to look on that. 
And trademarks are a little bit different in terms of intellectual property, in terms of <clears throat> copying or not copying is not going to be the number one inquiry. The number one inquiry is going to revolve around protecting consumers. And so trademarks allow you to keep somebody from using your trademark if there's a likelihood that it's going to create confusion. Hmm. Now there, you know, because the names are identical, I think you'd have a very good argument that, you know, and it's almost more, you know, it's it's less of a property and more of a consumer protection device, kind of like false advertising. But as a practical matter, trademarks are frequently the most valuable intellectual property that a company owns. So another example, mixtape. We play it a lot on the show, mixtape yep. the game. Do you know that after this came out, a very, 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 very comparable item came out called Boombox by another game maker. It was a ripoff, man. It was clearly a ripoff. And um, I mean, even the cards, the scenarios, like a lot of that was very similar. But it seems as if certain people have gotten pretty good at at getting away with enough yeah, kind so of a close. They path. have their toes on the line and they're going, but I'm not over the line. I might be on the line, but I'm not over the line. So there's like a whole industry of people that are kind of doing stuff like that too, right? Oh yeah. It, it's really creepy. As a matter of fact, I had a case last year where we we did a deep dive on some of that. And so picture there are several, you know, multi-million dollar companies, and all they do is they look at Amazon and they look at new products that are performing the best. Right. And they'll go through that and take a look at which ones of these people are startups versus an established company that could really come after us if we copied them. And they figure out who the startups are, which products are doing best, and they have knockoffs on the market, not within years. They have knockoffs on the market within a few months, two, right. three months. And, and they're constantly doing that. That's all they do. They don't invent anything. They just are fast followers of other people's ideas. Well, and then you get, um, we're talking about protection of all these things is protection of logos. Yeah. So probably one of the most famous ones I've seen with this is like the Chicago Cubs, because lots of people try to invent logos that have like two circles and a seat and C's. Yep. Lots of people. And they fight every single one of those that ever gets filed. Adidas just anything remotely close to two circles and C's. Adidas with three stripes, right? The European Union literally said no. That's too general. Yeah. They're like, you can't just take three stripes and say you own it. And now, I mean, that, that seems like it'd be like the swoosh. I mean, it's the same thing, like the Nike swoosh, but those are incredibly valuable trademarks. I I saw that the European union had brushed back Adidas, but, um, over the last, uh, several decades, Adidas has been one of the most aggressive, uh, trademark litigants. They still have the highest, uh, jury verdict. In all of U.S. history, in terms of trademarks, it was $304.6 million against uh, Payless back in the late 2000s. Um, now, the, the, the judge even realized that that was too much for that case, and he knocked it down in a hurry. But that's so, another so great case. Payless was making, were they making shoes with three stripes on them or something? Or? They were making shoes with two stripes and with four stripes. Oh. <laughs> but that looked a lot like um, some particular... Um, uh, Adidas, uh, I don't know if you want to call it like the particular, not just like the brand of shoes, but, but like the style. particular yeah. styles of shoes. I mean, knockoffs is huge. I mean, just the the whole industry of making knockoffs. Oh, it's yeah. like the amount of, of goods that they seize at ports and everywhere is just ridiculous. Well, I've been to the yeah. Philippines and you can buy fake luxury goods of any kind there for next to nothing. <laughs> Louis Vuitton, Gucci, all of it. It's there. 
Yeah, it's just for a, like nothing. It's just a reality because so much manufacturing goes on in Asia. Um, you know, if the people there know how to make it and they are making it, you're going to have issues with yeah. knockoffs. You can also buy a Blu-ray for like a dollar. But there is, you mentioned a great way. Um, who buys actual desks anymore? They rent CDs there still. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, yeah, the, whether you've got a copyright, whether you've got a trademark, whether you've got a patent, um, the International Trade Commission has uh, gives you the ability, if you do have um, one of those rights, to file your intellectual property with them and to stop goods at the border. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do. They're looking for that stuff. I mean, and they take a lot of it. So one of the most controversial things of all in regards to these topics is actually Mickey Mouse. Oh, I bet. Because the amount of time from when that was licensed has yeah. expired and Disney somehow manages to keep keep holding on to that. You know, Disney did a great job in terms of having a really valuable intellectual property. They had Mickey Mouse and when Mickey Mouse was developed, you know, Mickey Mouse is just a creative idea. So it was protected or Mickey Mouse is protected by copyright. But copyrights like patents, they have a much longer term, yep. but it's a it's a term. It's like 80 was, years or something. It was getting ready to expire. And so there was some great lobbying to, A, extend that term. And so they added another 20 years on. But one of the other things that Disney did is say, wait a minute, copyrights expire. Trademarks don't. And so if we protect the name Mickey <laughs> Mouse and the image of Mickey Mouse, and there's a process that you have to go through to take something that's already protected by copyright and also turn it into a trademark. But a trademark like a trade or like a trade secret is great because once you have converted your property to a trademark, uh, it, it doesn't have any term on it. You can maintain it indefinitely. And Disney, oh. I would argue is, has done as good of a job of that as, as, as any company. So now, now they're covered. They got it. Uh, they're good. Yeah. It's a trademark now. Once, Cause that was a big controversy and they like went to Congress and uh, extended that. Yeah, Sonny Bono was involved in that when they extended the uh, the duration on that. But still, you know, it went from 50 years to 70 years. It, it, at, the, at some point, it was going to expire. Yeah. And so as a company, they made a decision can, to convert that. Can you imagine if the trademark and copyright on Mickey Mouse expired? That's pretty wild. And anybody could just print that logo on anything. Yeah, I would I don't think if I was Disney, I don't think it'd be cool. With no, that. No, it'd be like the Adidas thing. It's so, the same deal. So all right. So now let's let's move on real quick and let's get to like all right, let's say I've got something, whether it's a patent, IP, copyright, any of it. I feel like I've been infringed upon. What okay. next? Other than calling you. Do you have a million dollars? Do you want a big lawsuit? I I have the money gun money. <laughs> Because that's the and first my, question, right? And my, is to- like, and my how totally much money do you have? non-infringing money gun. This is totally legit. It's Be- not because this is the issue I run into all the time. <laughs> Dave's raising an eyebrow. I'm just, I was like, what is that? It's a money gun. Like we talked to startup founders that want to start a company and they're so worried about... <laughs> is that, that, is is that our budget? Gun. Yeah. Hang on. Let's see what we got. We've got the money gun spit out. One, two, three, four. We've got about 10 bucks. Uh, how much... Do you charge per hour? I'm already out the door, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the The problem we have is like, so you have these startup founders that want to start some company and they're so worried about their intellectual property and filing for intellectual property and all this stuff. And the first thing I always tell them, I'm like, okay, congratulations, your patent got approved. Uh, somebody just violated it. What are you going to do? Do you got like a million dollars to go sue them? I mean, I know you're trying to raise your first round of funding and you're trying to get your company going. Do you also have time to fight a big lawsuit and sue somebody over this idea that you haven't even implemented yet? 
It, it's a great question. Um, and the, the answer is that just depending on the, the situation and the size of your company, you may not be able to enforce your intellectual property. Um, They're more defensive than anything, right? Uh, you know, it really just depends. Um, you know, in a lot of B2B situations where you've got companies that do have, um, you know, a pretty good war chest, they'll, they'll use the intellectual property to push people out of their markets. Right. But for a startup, you know, some of the primary value of the, the patent, let's say, for instance, may not be the ability to go enforce it, um, but rather um, the fact that somebody could enforce it if you were well-funded enough. That's when you want to get a shark in or get another investment round. Um, so the patent represents a value, whether you're enforcing it or not. In a lot of situations, a lot of times getting that first or second round of funding is going to be very particularly tied to the patent. It doesn't mean somebody wants to go file a lawsuit this year, but maybe in three years, once once you have uh, gotten to a certain size. Mm-hmm. You know, Some smaller companies that I, I've worked with that have patents they may make a tactical decision to say, okay, this other company's infringing our patent, but we just don't have the resources to do anything with this right now. What we're going to do is we're going to wait. We're going to let them get out in the market. We're going to let them get saturated. Yeah, and you have time. Them- you have, Do you have that time to wait, don't you? I mean, can how, how far does that clock turn back? Uh, with patents, you have six years. Okay. So you can sit and wait in the bushes for a long time. If, if is that six years until you actually file something? That's... Basically, once you file the lawsuit, um, it, it's a little different than other laws. You probably have heard of statutes of limitations. Where sure. You, you yeah. just have to file the lawsuit by this date or you have no lawsuit. Uh, that doesn't happen in patent cases. In patent cases, you could wait 10 years and file. It's just that the, the only reason the six-year limitation is going to come in, you can only get damages going back six years. I see. And you I might see. as well wait for your competitor to be a little bigger to get bigger damages. Sure. Yeah, I've seen, I mean, I've seen this occur. There was a, you know, when I, we were in the ticket business, there was a, uh, someone that was consistently suing people mm-hmm. for, you know, some pricing stuff they had made. And, and it seemed to be that they were more interested in trying to push everyone out of the market yeah, and, and, and just dissuade anyone from trying to enter and compete with them on some levels. But I mean, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I can't speak to what their frame of mind was. Well, and a lot of time in trademark suits too, you're not really looking at going after damages. Really, you just want somebody to stop using your name or confusing your customers. And so you'll be going into court looking less at, am I going to get money damages? But really what you're looking for is an injunction. Can I get the court to order these other people? Yeah, that's what they were doing. They were seeking injunctions. So, all right. So let's say I think I have a great idea how do I go about making sure or looking up or figuring out whether or not I'm violating someone else's patent, IP, trademark, copyright, any of it? Uh, there are many layers to that in terms of how how important is it to you to make sure that you're not infringing. Okay. Uh, for most um, companies, most ideas, one of the first things you want to do is not necessarily to consult a, a lawyer, but just get on Google for a while and sure. see if somebody using the same name, if, if you're an author. Is there a similar idea that's already out there? Um, if there's a product, see what else is out there. Um, if you can convince yourself that I, I really do think that this is new, I think this is something that is not out there, then you do want to start talking to a lawyer. Um, for patents, there's companies that, that we work with. There's patents or companies that do this so much that we don't even do this internally. We work with vendors who all they do is you present them your idea and they'll do a good search of um, what patents are out there. Uh, you know, no search is going to be 100%. It's not going to be bulletproof. Oh, looking at patents is like mind-numbingly boring and difficult to read. 
Well, and they're like, like that search is crazy. Dave may disagree. <laughs> it's enlightening for you. It depends on the patent. Some are more exciting <laughs> than others. Patent documents. Oh my god, it's fun. Some you talk to people that do different things, and yeah. people are like, man, I really find this is to be riveting and interesting. And we're like, oh, not a patent search. So you, you talk about tools, like so. There's Google patents. Like Google has a like yeah. patent search, but then for trademarks, what do you recommend? Like trademarkia. Uh, trademarks, you know, what we typically do those searches ourselves. And okay. what we'll look at is there are certain uh, proprietary databases where you can search not only what's been federally registered, but everything's been registered in a state and then also common law uses in terms so are of. Are there websites that people can go to do that, though? Um, like Trademarky is the only one I'm familiar with. Trademarky is, is okay. Um, it's still going to miss a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's going to hit. Uh, a lot of things that are registered. But one thing about trademarks that's really unusual, kind of like copyrights, we were talking about how the minute you put the words on the paper, you're establishing rights. Um, under the the federal Lanham Act, which governs trademarks, the second that you start using your name or your logo out in the world and consumers start to identify it with your company, you're already establishing rights, uh, whether you register anything or not. And so the the, the worst case scenario for somebody who's getting ready to launch a new trademark is they do the search of the federal database. Nobody's registered. It looks good. They look at the States. They look at everywhere else. But someone else has been doing it for five years. And it turns out that there's some brick and mortar store that's been doing it first. And now they've got a, a good trademark case against you. Now, if they didn't register, it may be that they are limited to having exclusive rights wherever they've been doing business already. Um, but that, that's the worst case scenario. So, Part of the reason that we search these proprietary databases is just to make sure we can get as broad a scope as possible, um, you know, within a certain price point to, to get a pretty good idea that there's nobody else out there that's using the same name. Man, there's so much to this. So, Dave, give us a little insight. How, how do our listeners reach you or Stenson if they want to talk about any of this stuff? Uh, you know, I'm available. Uh, our our uh, domain name is pretty easy. It's Stinson.com. That's S-T-I-N-S-O-N.com. That's correct. We used to be called Stinson Leonard Street because uh, we merged with a firm up in Minneapolis called Leonard Street. But um, too many people thought we were called Stinson Leonard Skinner. So we simply <laughs> <laughs> that could have been a trade trademark infringement as well. We'll probably get sued by Leonard Skinner. Now. I'm pretty sure that. And also when I'm seeking legal representation, anyone with Leonard Skinner in their name might either be awesome or I might pass. I'm not sure. So you can go to Stinson.com, S-T-I-N. S-O-N.com. That's easy enough. Um, and that's Dave Bernard, B-E-R-N-A-R-D. You're a partner at the firm? Actually, Barnard, B-A-R-N-A-R-D, like Barnyard, but with no Y in it. And then we spelled his name wrong. Tell you what. What are you going to do? But, you know, I was trying to avoid an infringement. Yeah. So I was like. <laughs> <laughs> that's very close. Up. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm, you know. Look you're you're pretty, online. you're pretty easy to find. You're on LinkedIn and man, you think about that. There's 60 people at his comp, at his firm that are focused on IP and all that other stuff. Like, and, and you guys have to see some wild stuff come through. You know, we really, we do see some weird lawsuits. Um, one thing I'll say about just from, for the startup community, you know, most of the companies I'm working with are, are, are large multinational companies. But because I like startups, I mean, my wife started her own business. I, I pick, you know. Well, that's how that's basis. how I know you because I see you at startup events. Yeah, on a regular yeah. basis. I yeah. really like to work with when I see a company that I like the people, I like the ideas, I like to work with startups. Um, don't always make money doing that, but that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul, and and frankly, sometimes the getting to work with good people is more important than the money. Sure. 
Um, in terms of weird lawsuits, um, that one of my clients is a, a big box that um, is in the crafts and fabrics industry. Okay. And so last year I was having to defend a lawsuit which involved cat art. <laughs> and that's just one of those things like no matter how big the case is, when you tell your parents that you're, you know, defending the cat art people, <laughs> nobody's impressed. There's a lot of there's a lot of cat lovers out there, though. So I feel like a lot. I mean, if you're a cat person, you're a cat person. Not yeah, copying art's got to be a big. Yeah, big one. Copying art is actually or, or photographs. That's one of the biggest yeah. new weird things that's going on in intellectual property litigation. It used to be that um, Getty Images and Microsoft were two of the only companies that had sophisticated software that could crawl the web and see if you were infringing one of uh, their images. You know, they yeah. had big databases. Getty, yeah, Getty, Getty. Yeah, yeah. Getty, uh, yep. G-E-T-T-Y. Yep. Yeah, Getty, yep, yep, yep. yep. Well, so, but, but, I've actually been contacted by them. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, in regard to that, because when we had the ticket company, we used to make these websites. We sometimes, you know, someone that was building He'll a page a would, would, would grab a photo from somewhere, and we ended yeah. up, you know, we buy licensed images because it was actually the beach boys and they were really aggressive. They yeah. were like, I mean, they were mad if you even had a web page. You owe us $500. Oh, for they this were, well, they were getting shitty. They just wanted you to take it down. Yeah. Yeah. Getty. I mean, they were notorious for that for a long time. They had a huge, uh, they do still have a huge uh, inventory of images, but there were only a couple of companies that again, had this software that could search the right. web to yep. look for infringements. Now Google has a free uh, product called reverse image search and literally any photographer, any artist in the entire country, you can upload your image into Google and it'll go search the web for free and find out if anybody's copying your stuff. And so we have seen a huge uptick in litigation from photographers that, you know, in the past mm-hmm. really didn't have any yep. great ability yeah. to yeah, yeah. release their work. It's probably and, how they make their money now. Oh, yeah. And that's going to just continue to rise because as, as photographers and artists become aware of this product, um, it's pretty easy. Does to, that mean I have to quit posting pictures of Matt Watson online? Yes. Only if I you expect don't royalties. Oh, I have a friend that uh, takes pictures of cars and he takes some amazing pictures of cars. And next thing you know, people take one of his photos and they rip them off and use them on something somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, he's you, always chasing them around. And, you ought to show yeah. that guy a Google reverse yeah. image search. He may have yeah. a, a whole new business. Yeah. Well, Dave, thanks for coming in today. This was interesting. I didn't, and every time I, we crawl down the rabbit hole on subjects like this, it's like we could probably talk about it for like 700 hours. But once again, if you guys want to check out Dave and his firm, go to Stinson.com, S-T-I-N-S-O-N.com. If you want to check us out, go to at Startup Hustle Podcast on Instagram. We're around some other places too. Check out what Fullscale does at Fullscale.io, Stackify.com. Oh man, Google us. Yeah. Right? See you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.